0: Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Milton Esrati. He's been on the show before. He's a contributing editor at the National Interest. Uh, he he has an affiliation with the Center for the Study of Human Capital at the University uh, State University of Buffalo, uh, and he's the chief economist for Vested, a New York-based communications firm, he's written for City Journal frequently on economic and policy issues. We're very glad to have him on the show. Uh, His latest book is 30 Tomorrows, The Next Three Decades of Globalization, Demographics, and How We Will Live. So Milton, thanks uh, for joining us on the show again.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Um, Several months ago, you wrote a piece for City Journal, making the case that our economic situation, our, our economic woes uh, were not going to be transitory. The Biden administration's economic authorities, Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, they've been contending for a while that the inflation that the country was experiencing uh, was the result solely of supply chain issues caused by the pandemic and that those uh, those issues would soon abate and so inflation would come down. You wrote at the time that this explanation ignored the demand side of the ledger, that you've had massive government spending, which has driven up consumer demand for goods, and that producers uh, have been struggling to meet this demand. At the same time, you know, you, you've you had a shortage of workers, exacerbated by policies that paid people not to work. And this, you said, as well, added to the problem. So I wonder, you know, since you published that, I think it was in October, Uh, uh, Could you elaborate a bit on the argument in that article and uh, what are you seeing in the economy that may have changed since?
1: The economy is much as it was. Uh, What's changed is the tune in Washington, uh, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, who had been a major proponent of the transitory argument uh, has walked that back. Um, and actually, Fed policy has begun to change, which shows that they're taking this inflation much more seriously than seemed to be the case in October when I produced that article. Um, the supply chain problems, one of the things I argued then is even if it was all just supply chain problems, uh, the transitory argument was uh, misstated because supply chain problems, whether it's labor shortages or the situation in Asia with the Chinese uh, zero tolerance uh, policy, um, and uh, and of course, uh, oil shortages or energy shortages, to make it more general, uh, will all last a lot longer than they were implying at the time. And the White House continues to imply um, there are also, as you point out, uh, these this tremendous uh, surge in demand, uh, supported by the federal government, and there is the legacy of tremendous amounts of li- liquidity that the Federal Reserve has been pouring into this economy to greater or lesser extent for almost 15 years now, and there is a price to pay for that as well.
0: So, in a way, the Fed has started to come around to the position you were. Uh, articulating in that article. Um, so it's winding down its bond buying program. You know, it looks like it's going to be raising rates several times in, in 2022, but the Fed has been more cautious, uh, than some other central banks, the Bank of England, for example. And, uh, you know, some, some people, uh, have criticized, uh, Powell for even these cautious steps. So, the economist Ryan Avant. Um, you know he he's written that central banks should be slow and cautious in tightening monetary policy because even in the absence of rapid tightening inflation is likely to fall so you know when, when we're looking at central bankers today what what are they you know what what are they basing their decisions on and what are the risks of tightening too fast or of keeping policy too loose
1: well um The risk of too fast an action, and I I sympathize with Powell. I didn't when he was saying transitory. I thought that was nonsense, but he did want to get reappointed, and you'll forgive my cynicism, and that's what the White House wanted him to say. Um, Now he has changed policy. He's going very gradually. Um, He's, I think, given the inflationary push we have, especially this legacy of all the liquidity the Fed has poured on the economy over time, um, that the Fed should act in a more aggressive way, but I'm glad it's acting at all. Now, it's important to note that even with three small rate increases that Fed is contemplating for next year, policy would still be stimulative. Those interest rates would still be lower than the rate of inflation, even if the rate of inflation comes down considerably. And I, I'm skeptical that that, in fact, is going to happen. So I If I were advising the Fed, and uh, I'm not, but if I were advising the Fed, I'd be saying to them, we should be acting, if not uh, the way Paul Volcker did during the great inflation in the late 70s, we should be acting more aggressively. Um, the, The Central Bank of Europe has special problems. Of course, the Bank of England is acting somewhat more aggressively.
0: What about on the fiscal side of things? We've seen this incredible avalanche of relief spending since the pandemic began, uh, but Joe Biden's social policy legislation, the Build Back Better bill, obviously hit a major wall in the Senate uh, You know, this week as, as uh, uh, Joe Manchin came out against it. Uh, the current v- version of this bill, uh, the Build Back Better bill, it's front-loaded. Runs up deficit spending between now and the mid 2020s on programs like childcare, universal pre-K, renewable energy. There's there's an entire progressive grab bag included in it. Uh, you know, if if some version of this bill eventually does get passed, what what in your view would be the implications uh, of such an infusion of cash on the economy?
1: Well, it would compound the problems in two ways. Uh, The first is that it would just be more spending. when We've had a great deal of that already uh, with the COVID relief. And uh, it would, of course, compound the Fed's problem. It would put a lot of pressure on the Federal Reserve to uh, print more money. I know it's electronic, but the electronic equivalent of running the printing presses, and that's what the Fed has been doing. Um, uh, So there would be that problem. The other thing is is a lot of this legislation is still paying people not to work. Um, now, we've gotten rid of the, the special unemployment benefits, but there is still a great deal here that, that dissuades people from going out for work. And we already have a labor shortage in this country. Um, my calculations, or at least using Department of Labor data, shows that we have about 5.5 million fewer people looking for work or working than we did before the pandemic. And that's about 3.5% of the workforce, so it's a not insignificant number. And if we pass this child credit, uh, it's going to persuade more people not to work. I've seen numbers about a million, a million and a half. I can't verify them, but that just compounds the supply side of this thing even as it exaggerates the demand side. So it, it cuts badly from the inflation point of view on in two ways.
0: Interesting. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the broader macro economic trends that are at play. So you have the US, Europe and China all intent, at least rhetorically on phasing out fossil fuels, replacing them with renewables like wind and solar, other forms of power. The cost of renewables has has fallen in recent years, but there are logistical problems to their widespread implementation. These these still remain. They can be, um, you know, more sporadic as well in terms of energy, as we've seen with recent shortages. So, meantime, policymakers aware of long term deflationary pressures, you know, shifting demographics across the aging developed world. Had decided until this year that inflation was this thing that was gone. They've been pursuing highly inflationary fiscal and monetary policies. So I wonder, you know, if you could say uh, our current troubles represent, in some, some sense, the culmination of these decisions. Uh, that the chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, you know, what are what are in your view the most consequential broad trends for the economy, not just over the. You know the immediate future of the next six months or or year or two, but but over the long term,
1: I, I'm glad you brought up the uh, renewables or the uh, or the green energy. Uh, the problem with that was we've had we have had a surge in demand, as you pointed out when you f- introduced this. The, the federal government has been putting a lot of money in people's hands, and that's true across the world. Uh, the Federal Reserve has been printing a lot of money, which effectively, indirectly, puts money in people's hands. So the demand surge as soon as we ended the lockdowns and or the strictures. Now maybe we're going back, but as soon as we ended the strictures. Um, There was a tremendous demand surge, and even in the best of circumstances, that would have strained energy supplies. But uh, we have shut down coal mines, not that I'm in favor of dirty energy, but we have shut down coal mines. Uh, The Biden administration came into office and did everything it could to discourage fracking. Um, it, It shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Um, all of this made it much harder to respond because windmills and uh, solar panels, uh, you cannot ramp them up as fast as you can just pumping a little more oil or running a refinery 24-7. And I'm not saying that the ultimate goal of getting rid of fossil fuels is a good or a bad one, but uh, there was absolutely no uh, consideration of what would happen if we had this surge in demand, and we did. China is the um, uh, is an object lesson. They closed down coal mines. They uh, they they stopped importing oil. They were counting on a lot of hydro. They had a drought. There wasn't the hydro. In the meantime, demand picked up, and they had rolling blackouts effectively across the country that shut down factories, contributed to all supply chain problems. As a matter of fact.
0: And we're we're seeing this uh, in in other countries as well, right? These these kind of rolling blackouts, or at least uh, incredible uh, crunch on on energy. And there's some worries over over the winter that uh, this this could be, become a significant problem.
1: Uh, if we have a cold winter, it will be a very severe problem. And as it is, given what's happened to the price of energy now, some of these prices have come down a little bit as people have stepped up supply. But given what's happened to the price of energy, even if there is enough to go around, it's going to be a real burden on household incomes as they try to heat their homes, especially if we have a difficult winter.
0: Uh, you know, last question in, in your, um, you know, futurist uh, guys, uh, where, where do you see uh, the, the global economy heading, um, you know, five years from now? Uh, if if it's even possible to think that far in advance.
1: <laughs> well, the the short answer is no, it's not. But I uh, um, well, I think we 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 have uh, unless this uh, Omicron thing um, becomes much more severe, or the authorities panic, uh, either or, and we shut down, um, we are having a very uh, prompt. And um, an effective recovery from the strictures that we were put in place in 2020 and have come off and on since. Um, that should probably continue for at least another year or two. After that, a great deal depends on the inflation. If we continue to have the inflation, and as I've said, there is a lot of. Um, uh, fundamental push for inflation built into the system. If we continue to have that, that is that is destructive of economic growth. It is destructive of investment. And that could make uh, life, economic life much more difficult uh, looking out beyond the two years, three years. The other thing that I would point out is that um, a lot of countries in the world, in fact, most major economies, ours, Europe, Japan, and even China, are um, suffering a demographic problem. There is a shortage of young workers, um, trained young workers, uh, and especially as the huge, relatively huge baby boom generation retires, there is going to be a difficult time getting workers to replace them, and that too tends to slow growth. So, I'm looking for my near-term outlook is continued um, uh, recovery from this uh, the pandemic strictures, and and that that will produce very impressive growth rates, I think, for quite a while. And I say quite a while, I mean a few quarters or so. After that, uh, everything seems to point to a much slower economy, more like we had 10 years ago.
0: Right. Thank you very much, uh, Milton. Don't forget to check out Milton Esrati's work on the City Journal web's website. We'll link to his author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal. And on Instagram at CityJournalMI. As always, if you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. And Milton Esrati, Uh great to talk with you again. And thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for joining us
0: for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.